welcome to episode three of Lost in Translation here at the WCTV studios in Wilmington, Massachusetts. I'm Sam Perkins with Bobby Martin. Uh, Bobby, how are you doing today? Sam the man, always good to be back. Um, taking into consideration everything that's been going on for the last past couple of days, I find myself maintaining. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not doing well. Uh, I, I really... Like it, it is, it is a a very it is like a, an obsession where I keep picturing my kids in this situation and it's horrifying. And every time I read something new, it's like my brain goes to my my two kids being in this situation. And and I, I keep going back and forth between like I feel such horror and disgust and just overwhelming sadness and guilt and or or, or overwhelming sadness and, and horror and grief. And feeling like, on the one hand, I'll feel like, yes, I should feel this grief because this is happening in our country and we keep not doing anything about it. And, and the fact that 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 children being murdered in a school, it's up to 19 right now. And the number that keeps not being released is it's 19 dead, but there were 38 kids shot. It's like they're not the authorities in Texas, the, 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 the uh, politicians, they're still trying to like soften it a little bit and not let on for how terrible 38 kids shot and 19 of them dead and and, and that this is the set you know we had columbine we've had so many school shootings and then we had we had newtown the sandy hook school that was chilled like young kids pittsburgh. and pittsburgh and, th and this and so many others and that each one of these is not prompting immediate changes is just it's horrifying so i keep feeling like just 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 horror and and sadness and grief and i feel part of me will be like yes i should feel this i should be in this because i i should not have the luxury that we shouldn't have the luxury of being able to forget about it but then the other part of me feels like what right do i have to be in that guilt when i'm not one of those parents that's i still get to go home to my kids my uh and it's this this back and forth and it's i don't know how you're handling it you know you're you're you you are fur further along in fatherhood than I am. Your kids are older than mine, but like I, I don't know, you know. I think that, you know, guilt. I, I feel none. Um, I'm I'm not a big guilt guy. Um, but what happened absolutely touches every parent. Um, it's 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 absolutely tragic. But, you know, but here's the thing. What what I'm looking at is is politicians. Um, I'm looking at Beto O'Rourke, and you know, I'm, I'm watching. Um, you know, the, the, they're having a press conference, and he's walking up there, and you know, he's, he's talking to whomever it was. Maybe it was the governor of Texas. And I'm saying to myself, "There's nothing going to be accomplished right now. You can't do that there. Let the parents grieve. It's okay to feel emotional about it." I think everybody should feel emotional about this. But at some point, you still got to let common sense step in. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just feel like at least there was a visceral reaction. You look at the governor, you look at Abbott. I mean, that that happens, and he goes to a fundraiser that night. You know, you, you have him and Ted Cruz. They're still going to an NRA conference, which, by the way, there are no guns allowed there for the, mm -hmm. for the company that, that mm -hmm. you know— is behind the the Second Amendment. Every American should be able to carry whatever they want with no no background checks at all. You're not allowed to carry in this conference. is very hypocritical. To me, at least, Beto O'Rourke is 
is doing something, just the more and more that comes out, and I'm not trying to get sidetracked into the politics of no, it, no, but like, fine. one, it, it, it keeps unfolding that the, the police reports, the initial reports, were, mm -hmm. were totally inaccurate of what was reported mm -hmm. to the public. The, the fact that they, now they're saying that the, I've heard that up to 90 minutes that the shooter was shot at people outside, went inside 90 minutes in the school before they finally tried to breach the door kids were shot in four different classrooms like you know how how do you just sit out there and do nothing this isn't a negotiation situation this is this is and to me i just i picture my kids i picture the the innocence level you know one of my sons just turned one today mm -hmm. so my youngest it's his happy first birthday, birthday today. happy birthday um my older son is five going on six so he is a bit more of a personality and a like a like a person as far as you get to know him and i just think about his level of of innocence and his level of of wonder at the world and i i think about that i, I just it's like i don't want to think about it but i can't not think about what those kids were going through young young kids and that this isn't prompting a change you know um and there isn't just one solution as far right. as I get it that there's lots of illegal weapons that are out there already. So simply enacting tougher gun control legislation won't do away with all of the firearms, legal firearms that are out there in bad people's hands. But the, on the flip side, this idea that like, well, what do you do to combat it? Oh, you just need more good guys with guns is, it, it, it's a fabrication. And, we, and I talked last time with you about uh, how hard it is to accept the fact that we can't always protect our loved ones and ourselves, that there's just stuff that's out of your control. And we saw in Buffalo, we've seen many different times that just because you have someone armed on site, that doesn't ensure safety. Now, I'm not saying schools need to, schools need to have very comprehensive plans for situations like this. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be school but that's not enough and there's no reason why in certain states um it should be as easy as it is to buy a firearm you know it's harder to it's much harder to get a job working in a school in in texas background checks fingerprint you know the the, the waiting period than it can be than it is to buy a firearm uh and there's no reason for that you know there's no reason that common sense you know i just i do not understand the logic behind like we shouldn't have common sense you're, uh, you're also, laws you you're, know background checks yeah, waiting periods i yeah. don't get that you know would it would it stop all of this no but we keep seeing this instance virginia tech these were people that they a bunch of these that they legally bought firearms and then use them to go commit horrific acts mm -hmm. and would would tighter restrictions solve all of this no there isn't one cure for it but it certainly wouldn't hurt and it's not going to prevent legal uh law-abiding citizens from purchasing firearms so i just well, I mean, I think if you're mentioning the Second Amendment, right, so you're right, you have a legal right to bear arms. So 
is it a matter of mental health? I have no idea because if you do a background check, you know, have they been, you know, have they been uh, properly vetted? You know, do, do, have they been to a psychiatrist? Do you yeah. even know that part of their lives? It's tough, man. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, if the stories are still coming out and they're saying now that, like you, you had mentioned, that the police were waiting outside. Yeah. What happened to protect and serve? Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there was <laughs> there was some legislation passed back in 2005 that basically said that law enforcement is not legally obligated to risk their lives to protect people, which is a crazy piece of legislation. But it's also, I mean, it's come out. There there are officers that were on camera that have said, yeah, we went in and got our own kids out of the building. Right, but we didn't go right. and engage the shooter. Exactly. And, and it wasn't until a Border Patrol agent, who I think was off-duty, arrived, and he mm. rushed in. He's the one who actually, what's being reported right now, took out the shooter. And, and the crazy thing is that there are all these things that were reported officially by law enforcement at the time that now the story's changing. And this well, is going down a whole other road, but... Uh, law enforcement never changes stories. Oh, no, 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 no. We, 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 we all have... We always have to believe everything. Uh, because of that's, course. Uh, and, and it's just crazy. It's like they said at the time, there was an armed resource officer. He engaged the, the, the shooter outside. Now they're saying, oh, there wasn't one on site. They said, oh, he was only in one classroom. Now mm. it was, oh, he was in four classrooms and shot. You know, it's, it's just... The story is ever-changing, and... Don't get me wrong, like there are wonderful people that are police officers out there that I know that risk their lives every day that that so I'm not here slamming an entire profession, but I will never subscribe to the notion that just because someone is in law enforcement, we have to look at them as a hero because there were plenty of non-heroic actions that occurred in Texas a few days ago by law enforcement standing around arresting parents outside because the parents were saying we're trying to just rush in and get their kids since law enforcement wasn't you cannot tell me that those actions were were heroic because they're, they're, it just so no the heroes are at home the heroes are the parents who are taking care of their children every day those are the heroes heroes talk to you heroes build you up heroes don't sit outside and wait for an hour while you've barricaded an, an idiot or a lunatic in in a room and, with and young kids that's the other thing they've said that he barricaded and now it comes out that it was just he locked the door you know they breach police breach locked doors all the time are you kidding me like so but it's just my mind is so messed up from this that, and I just keep picturing my son and, you know, my older son because he's in preschool about to be going into kindergarten and, mm -hmm. and I just, I, it, it is not healthy, but I can't stop thinking about it. Um, you, you do the best you can yeah. as a parent when you can. Um, there are no perfect parents, so we'll never get perfect children. Um, I, I believe that as, lo as long as we are speaking with our kids, as long as, we, you know, and, and explaining to them that there is a difference between perception and reality. Perception is not reality, and anybody that says that is out of their freaking minds. Yeah. Okay? Because what if, what if your perception is off? What if your first perception is wrong? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it brings us to what the topic that we had planned for today was, which is parenthood. And... And you know we are in different spectrums, and we we both have had different paths that we've followed. I think to parenthood, mm. um, but you're a great dad, and I do my best to be the best dad that I can be. 
I'm curious for you, what would you say about your journey through parenting? Because number one, you have, so you have an older son and then you have two mm-hmm. younger daughters. There's a gap between them. So, you know, when did you, just what would you say about parenthood, about would, being a dad? I would say that it never stops. Um, you never stop being a parent. My son right now just got out of boot camp. He's in the Navy. And you know, I still feel as though I have to speak with him as though he's my son. But I have to understand that he is a grown man, and he shouldn't have to tell me that he is. I've also got two daughters who you know, I, I want to protect, but I understand that I can only protect them so much. So my job as a father is to teach them, um, you know, as, as young women, how young men really are. Okay, I've got to tell them the truth. I don't want anybody else speaking to them about it. Because if they're, if they're going to hear truth, they're going to hear it from me. And uh, well, like I said, you do the best you can when you can. It was a little different for me because you know, I wasn't around my son when, uh, you know, while he was in his younger years because I was in Europe playing. And his mom, you know, she and I divorced. So I'm a long-distance dad. So every year I had to come back and try to establish another relationship with my son. Or it was tough. How old were you when you had your son? 24. So you're young, and you, you didn't have a dad growing up. You said you never knew who your dad was. Never knew who my father was. You know, it, it's strange. Uh, I remember playing Georgetown at the Cap Center, and one of the ushers came in into our locker room after the game, and he said, your dad's out. Like, a man who says he's your father is outside. And, you know, I'm, I think this is my junior year. And I said, to my, I said to him, look, I'm not going out there. Tell him I'm not coming. I didn't know who it was. You know, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but I had no desire to meet him. Um, I think that was one of my regrets. I should have gone out because he had nothing to do with, you know, with, uh, with uh, well, I should say I had nothing to do with the problems between, you know, he and my mom at the time. So I should have gone out there and, and said hello. So because of that mistake I made, um, now I make sure that I talk to my children as much as I possibly can. How old were you when you and your son's mom uh, separated? Or sorry, how old was Ju- was your son? So Junior was going on three. Okay, he was going on three. Yeah. How old were you when you had to have conversations with him about not being together with his mom? Uh I didn't speak to him about not being together with his mom until he came to live with me when he went to high school. Um, as as angry as I was at the time, I understood that if I ever said one disparaging word about his mom, that it was wrong. Yeah. Um, and I did let him know, you know, how I felt about it when when I was older. And it was, I mean, honestly, when I look back at it, it was none of her fault. You know, this was me not being ready. I mean, I asked for my divorce. Yeah. And it was me not being ready. Um, regardless of whether we got along or not and certain issues, you know, that wasn't it. You know, things happen in marriages. But, uh, you know, again, I was young, but, you know, now she and I talk on a regular because we share a love for our son and respect for each other. Yeah, I mean, so for me, there's some similar. I was a little older. I was a bit older than you when I had my, my first, my oldest. Um, but me and his mom uh, separated when you know, he was a baby. Mm. Um, and I have a lot, I still to this day have so much internal guilt and one, 
You're someone that doesn't have guilt. I'm Jewish, so we have lots of guilt. Yeah, that's, I that, think that that's, is, yeah, that is, you <laughs> you're know, born with that, I think, right? That, that is, uh, <laughs> but I, I do, and, and my guilt isn't over not being with his mom at all. Right. I, it was for, it was in everyone's best interest because we both found spouses, we both found uh, love mm-hmm. and, and really healthy, I know in my case, happy, loving relationships, everything I see, his mom, it's the same. And it's the best situation for him to grow up in households where he sees people that are that are in love, that are partners, teammates. Um, and he's never known me and his mom being together because he was so young. Mm-hmm. But I had so much guilt because when he was born, fatherhood did not come naturally to me. And it wasn't, I wasn't abusive I wasn't neglectful, I wasn't cold or mean, but I didn't have a connection with him. And there are a few reasons I I think that that is. And so growing up, different from you, I had two amazing parents. They divorced when I was in the fifth grade, so I was old enough to know what happened, but it didn't really hurt, you know, because they were both in my lives, in my life, you know. I saw them almost 50-50, and and now my son is 50-50 between me and his mom, so he's with both of us. But I, I talked to both my parents. I, I, you know, me and my dad were incredibly close, um, and we really didn't look alike, which is funny. My mom was a, a four foot eleven inch Jewish lady, and my dad was a six foot seven inch uh, lapsed Catholic. Um, and, and I don't look anything like my dad, but we were incredibly close. And um, so I had great parents. Um, when I was a teenager, my dad was killed in a car accident, and then shortly before my son was born, my mom was killed in a car accident, and I had also lost my best friend to a suicide. So I had suffered mm-hmm. a bunch of these losses that really um, affected me in ways that I didn't really learn for years and years and years. And I think when my mom was then killed years later, it's like the third one of these unexpected. You don't get to say goodbye. You get a phone call from a number you don't recognize, and. Uh, it's hospital and, and all that. It was like something in my brain, I just had this disconnect. And I had a very hard time connecting with my son when he was born, like having that instant, just um, instinctive, like this is my world right here. And it took me about a year, I think, for things to kind of like reboot in my brain. And from then on, my my, my son Jack, is is he is my... He's just my best friend, man, uh, as far as guy friends. You know, my wife is is my best friend, but Jack is, is everything to me. And we, I just, I love being around him. I love everything I do. I'm wearing a Spider-Man shirt today because of him. I have shirts for that I wear. I don't take myself seriously. All of his favorite <laughs> things. He loves Spider-Man. Yeah. He's loved the Disney Cars series, so I've got a bunch of shirts from that. He loves the Avengers. Uh, Spider-Man's his guy. He usually either says I have to be Thanos or sometimes he lets me be Iron Man. <laughs> so um, uh, he loves, tr- you know, we've just done so much together over the years. He loves trains. So whenever I'm doing a video, a sports edit for stuff around uh, around town or anything, I will, if I can fit a shot of a train going by because mm-hmm. it works as a transitional shot, mm-hmm. I will put that into a video that I'm doing just for my son, you know. Like he is... I don't really have a social life other than my wife. I don't hang out with friends, any, you know, really, because I just want to spend all my time 
with with my kids, but especially Jack because you know uh, the baby Avi is is he's a baby, so it's you know. Um, but I still to this day, and and we're talking almost five years later after things I think rebooted in my brain, have so much guilt that I didn't feel that immediate connection to him. And it's hard for me. It's a constant struggle every day to be like, you know, to just not be consumed with this guilt of like, how did I not? And so that, that's, a, that's a challenge for me, you know? And, and I have other, I have stuff that I struggle with down the road. I know I'm gonna have to have conversations with Jack at some point. He's gonna ask questions about me and, and his mom. And he has a wonderful relationship with my with my wife. It's it's like another, he's talked about having two moms before. Mm -hmm. um, he loves her, she loves him. She's always viewed him as her as her kid. They've known each other since, you know, he was. Um, but I know he's gonna have questions and, and we're gonna have to have conversations. And, and I agree with you that, you know, we don't ever, I wouldn't ever say negative things about his mom to him because that does no one any good. You know, uh, it that that's not going to help him at all. Kids need to have love, however many homes they have. You know, if they're surrounded by love and and they feel like everyone is in it together for them, mm -hmm. that's what they need. And that's what, what he gets from our, and that's, that's the philosophy from everything I know from both of his houses, you know. Um, but I, I also have a lot of guilt in that. Uh, so when they get older, Jack loves his younger brother. He's a, Jack's a great older brother to Avi. And, but I worry when they get older that Jack is going to really struggle with the fact that Avi is with under the same roof as me 100% of the time and he's under the same roof as me 50% of the time. And I worry that Avi is going to struggle with the relationship that me and Jack have. You know, I love them both equally, but Jack and I have a very special relationship from the things that we had to overcome to be like this and going through COVID together. You know, he had just started preschool and uh, it was his first year of preschool. He struggles with unexpected change and with transitions and he's going to preschool and then suddenly shuts down. Mm -hmm. That was a huge challenge, man. I don't know for you with your girls what that was like for me. That was a big challenge. Jack was with me a lot during that period, the end of the school year. You know, right. felt like just about every day. Right. And trying to come up with stuff because I was teaching remote. Mm -hmm. I was a teacher. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm teaching remote and I've got Jack and I'm teaching my kids on Zoom and Jack's coming and putting his trumpet up against my head and blowing yeah. it in the middle of yeah. me teaching a, a lesson on, on ancient Egypt. Yeah. To my class and and one of the things that we found is we were i was living in worcester at the time we would go to union station in worcester every single day and watch the trains because it was something we could still do and at the time he had name he had names he like he learned all the different like train companies because worcester is kind of the train it is the train hub of massachusetts it's much more than boston union station is this beautiful train station and um it was something that we did it was our routine every day um and, uh, but that was a tough time, man. I constantly felt like I was failing as a parent because we'd be doing one thing and then I'd be like, oh my God, but we haven't done anything academic for like most of the week other than his one Zoom class a week. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, I'm letting him down here as he developed. And so it's like, I, I don't know, what, what was that experience like for you, man, you, you, with, you, so, with your girls? Um, again, I was raised by my grandmother and one of her favorite saying ones was, it's hard, but it's fair. So, 
I don't think we give our children enough credit for being resilient. Um, they're much more resilient than, um, than many of us, us parents, I'm going to say in general, give them credit for. Uh, change is a part of life. Transition is a part of life. And they're, frankly, they're better at it than we are. I mean, it, 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 we're, we feel worse about having to leave them than they do about us leaving because they're looking for their independence. Even when they're young, they, they don't want you helping them stand up. No, 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 I got it, I got it. <laughs> right? That's who they are. Uh, my daughters are both very independent. I am so happy that they can, we can sit down in the living room and they can go upstairs and spend hours up there just drawing, reading, doing whatever they want to do, and I don't have to worry about them. And they'll come down and we'll talk about it. So, you know, for me, uh, Junior was the same way. Um, I give him his space. You know, I mean, even you know, even when he was in college, you know, or he, away at the Tilton School, he didn't call me a lot. And I didn't have to call him a lot because I understood what he wanted. I understood he wanted his space. I felt the same way with my grandmother. I loved her. But, you know, I was accustomed to going in my room, opening my books. There was no television in my room. So I'd go in, I'd open my books, I'd start reading. And I'd come out, we'd eat dinner or whatever, and she said, well, what'd you read? You know, what have you learned today? <laughs> and that was it. And it was the best relationship because she saw me as a young man. And as a man, you know, an another saying of, of my grandmother was, boy, you better learn how to be a loner. <laughs> and it helped me so much, especially being overseas, because you always want someone yep. around you. It's, you know, the, the environment isn't what you're accustomed to. Wasn't a problem. Was not a problem. I was fine being alone. I just figured out what was going on in their culture. Yeah, I. So one conversations with with my oldest are are, are amazing, and I can't wait to be able to have them with my youngest. You know, where we keep thinking he's going to talk any day now. He babbles a lot. We're wondering what his first words word is going to be. But leave um, me alone. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> you know, with Jack, he. COVID was really tough, and I don't mean to keep harping on it, because when I say COVID was tough, I'm not here saying, oh, we should have just day one, no masks in school. No, not at all. Like, I, I believe in, in the precautions. I took it very seriously. But these are the unfortunate. There's going to be a cost. And so Jack is, he has a very athletic background. He had his grandfather, so I was an athlete. His mom was an athlete. Both of his grandparents were athletes, uh, or both of his grandfathers were athletes. Mm -hmm. um, he's got great grandparents that were athletes. You know, very high level. You know, his grandparents, his grandfather's high level Division One professional grandparents, same. Um, but Jack has always been very drawn to music. He's been athletically, physically gifted. But it's never really been his thing thus far. Music has been his thing. Mm -hmm. He was kind of delayed speech-wise, but he could sing from Ooh, day one. I like Jack already. He oh could hear a song once, you know, when he was like a year and a half old. And my wife picked up on this first because my wife is very musically inclined. And it's funny, her and Jack have so much in common. We joke about it all the time. But she could pick up that Jack could match pitch and cadence from day one. I took Jack when he was three, so before COVID hit, we're talking, it was like December 2019, that 2019-2020 school year, took him to my alma mater to Northeastern, to a Northeastern basketball game, mm -hmm. and Jack was enthralled with the pep band. He didn't care about basketball, mm -hmm. he just wanted to go back. 
We got him a toy trumpet. We went back. He immediately wanted to walk over to the pep band. They asked, they were like, hey, do you want to join us? That whole basketball season, we went to basically every single Northeastern home game and every single game, Jack would just go right over to the pep band and he would play with them. We've got videos of him. He would match their movements with a toy trumpet. So towards the end of the year, we bought him a reel. It's called a pocket trumpet. So it's brass, but it's like this big. It's take a trumpet, it's kind of compacted down to like this. Comes in the mail. I take it out, I try to blow into it. I can't get it to make a noise because I have no musical ability. My wife, who's an amazing singer, tries to, she can't get it to make a noise. I didn't realize until then that a trumpet, you're not simply blowing. It, mm -hmm. It's you have to vibrate your lips. And so I tell Jack, I'm like, hey, bud, this trumpet came. He's all excited. Uh, but, it, you know, you might not be able to get it to make a noise for a while until you're older. He immediately can play the trumpet. He's mm -hmm. different keys and, and different. And he could match the trumpet with the Northeastern pep band. And over the course of that year, we're he's getting posted on Twitter and stuff and then the BU pep band's like hey come join us so then we're going to Northeastern and BU games and he's playing with them and the BU conductor uh, band director who's a professor there was like it shouldn't be physically possible for a three year old because it was Jack was three to be able to play a trumpet right now mm -hmm. they shouldn't have the lung capacity the, the mouth and he could play it and, and the band was all Jack but, wanted wh to, why wanted not to why, why would he say that why not the, I guess just kids are not physically, they shouldn't have the lung capacity yet at three to be able to make it. Who a says? Well, Sam. He, 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 I mean, he was just saying it out of, he was impressed that but, it's like he's never known a kid that young that could play a trumpet before, which was. You're, we're, we're speaking of Jack. So what that says is, is that, and, and this is the case in any kid, music is their first language. Yeah. It, it, it is sound. It is vibration. It's not words. We just give them definitions. Yeah. He told you what he wanted to do. Yeah, the world he, is built it, off of vibration, and and that's what, <laughs> but that's what was so kind of heartbreaking to me over it is that this was his everything, and mm -hmm. then COVID hits right after the basketball season basically ends, it gets shut down, and then the entire next year and a half, the, you know, the pep band, the first year the pep bands at those schools are not getting together, mm -hmm. you know, then the second year they reopen, and and that so that. That summer, even with COVID, I should say, Jack was meeting up with the BU pep band because they were having outside performances. He had his mask. He'd pull his mask down to play. It was amazing. But then that next school year, there's there's no pep band at Northeastern or BU. And Jack was doing online Zoom lessons for, for music with the BU pep band director. Uh, I, I can't thank Aaron enough as the BU director for that. It was really amazing. But it wasn't... Jack was getting very frustrated, very kind of upset. He couldn't see his mm -hmm. band friend, as, as he called them. And as COVID went on and on and on, uh, he kind of got disconnected from that. He still loves music. He loves to sing. He sings everything. He's incredible musically. But he has lost that connection with the band. So this year, towards the end of the year, we finally went back to Northeastern. They finally kind of, the pep band was back together. They said he could rejoin them. We went there. But Jack did not want to go over to them. He was really upset seeing them. I don't know what his internal processing was, but it was really heartbreaking for me as a parent to have seen at such a young age this passion and this thing that he just loved to do. It's shut down. We finally go back, and he's, you know, not, not feeling it. And, you know, my hope is that it will come back in time, because he still loves music. Mm -hmm. But if not, man, that's it's a really great loss, you know. My wife and I both really struggled with that when we were there because it was we both just loved doing that with him, and we really struggled going there 
and seeing him have that reaction to it. And uh, it was it was really tough, man. Um, yeah. And that was a thing that he loved. And, and he he doesn't like having me teach him stuff. And I don't know how to teach him music. I told so you. Sports, I know. But he doesn't want me teaching him stuff. I mean, I was a pretty high-level athlete, mm-hmm. baseball player. He will not let me teach him uh, anything. You know, I'm like he views me as his buddy and his dad, but he does not want me teaching him stuff. That's right. And music was really wonderful for me because I couldn't teach him anything. So I could just be there for the ride with him while, while he's doing it. Yes. Um, well, kids, they, they come from us. They're not they They aren't us. You know yeah. So I wouldn't want you teaching me. Yeah, if, if I'm Jack, I don't want you teaching me music. This is dad. This is my voice. I, I, I got this. Yeah. Leave me alone. Walk away. Admire it. <laughs> That's okay? really how he is. <laughs> Let me do my thing. This is what children are supposed to do. <laughs> how how did you handle cuz cuz your oldest son junior he was a division 1 basketball player too mm-hmm. he's a, he's a big kid he's mm-hmm. not as big as you he's probably what 67 66 six, somewhere he's 6 yeah 65 66 six, okay yep. so he played at rice you yep. know which is division 1 school it's not mm-hmm. as high level as pitt mm-hmm. it's uh uh, but it's yeah. I mean, to play D one, that's that's more than ninety nine point nine 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 percent of high school right. players do. Right. Um, how did you handle sports with him, and then how with your younger with your daughters now? Is it you know how was it? Were you pushing them into it? Were you? How did you handle it? How, how did you handle that? Being when you're as acclaimed as you are, mm-hmm. that can be a lot of pressure on kids. So it was absolutely a lot of pressure on my son. Um, I remember, you know, now you can go on, parents can go on visits with their Mm -hmm. kids. I remember taking a couple of visits with him and, you know, the coaches, you know, they talk about, oh, I remember you at Pitt, you know, great teams, blah, 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 blah. And Junior is looking at me and asking me the question, Dad, this is my visit. Why are they talking to you? And you know what I told my son? I said, look, get over it. It's not going to change. All right, you have to make your way. You are good enough for them to want to offer you a scholarship. Stop looking at me, all right? I'm not gonna change what I did. I can't change what I did. I was pretty damn good. I was better than you were, all right? So, you know, get over it, man. And he did. He found his own way. I didn't push him to play basketball. Um, He was always into sports. He was playing football, so he had built a natural affinity for being aggressive. Yeah. And uh, I love basketball players with football player attitudes. My daughters, they are unbelievably athletic. I swear I have Venus and Serena. Um, you know, Amanda is long, tall, athletic like her mom. And, uh, you know, Vanessa is tall. She's got a little bit meat on her, you know, a little bit more meat on her bones. So, and she is just as aggressive and they are both independent thinkers. And I love that about them. You know, they'll sit down and have a conversation with me, but I don't push them into sports. Right now with my daughters, I ask them, look, go outside and play. Go to the, the, the jungle gyms, the seesaws, the swings. Do that. There is no specialization. Now they want to start playing lacrosse and, and basketball, things like that. My, my older wants to go out and practice basketball. You know, She wanted to work on her left hand. I said, okay, let's go. As long as she wants to do it, we'll do it. But her dream is her dream. Yeah. Can't be mine. And as long as she's working hard, funny story about Junior. I didn't force him to play, but you know, basketball is uh 
it's consuming, you know, time consuming, and sometimes we lose our way. So, you know, especially with classes. So he's up at Tilton. He's going to kill me for telling the story. But, he, <laughs> but he's up at Tilton, and uh, I get an email that he hasn't handed in an assignment. And I just finished talking to him about it, dude. Cross your T's, dot your I's. So I get an email, and I don't want I don't want the teachers emailing me. So I get in the car and I drive up to Tilton. I call the coach. Do not tell him I'm coming, but I want you to know I'm coming because I have to get in the building. <laughs> so I drive up and I'm fuming. I get to the school and I know he's in the gym, so I go to the gym. They let me in, and he walks out the other way. I catch him. Oh, hey, Dad. I don't know you were here. How you doing? So I make him go pack all his stuff. He puts it in the car. We drive all the way back home. The coach is calling me, Bobby, is he coming back? Is he coming back? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Because I tell him, man, you got my name. Okay? People deal with me because of who I, who I am, not because of what I did. You don't get to do this. So if you're serious about playing basketball, then you're going to have to follow up doing everything else that you need to do. Now, I eventually sent him back to Tilton, and uh, he ended up okay. So, uh, that's my little story about that. It, for me with sports, what I was very thankful for was, um, you know, my my, uh, my dad, he introduced me to them, and he was, you know, very, not the same level as you, but he was accomplished in his own right, Division mm-hmm. One player. He introduced me to them, but he didn't force me into them. I just was passionate about them from day one. So mm-hmm. I was different than my son, where where that's all that I wanted to do from the time okay. I was a year old. Wow. I learned how to swing a little souvenir baseball bat from yeah. uh, like a Red Sox game, uh, a little souvenir bat. And he'd pitch me tennis balls, and that, that's just, and then, you know, basketball, football came mm-hmm. next. Um, but he never pushed me into it. It wasn't like, you have to do this. He introduced me to it, and when I got to a certain point, he let me know, look, like you're 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 talented, but the reality is, you know, you're, you're five eight on a good day. I did. He was about a foot taller than me. I didn't get wasn't blessed with his height. Okay, okay. You know, I like to say I'm five nine now. Maybe I probably <laughs> a little bit, but you know, you're five eight. If you want to do this, you know, there's always someone working. You, you've got to go out there and you've got to be working all the time if this mm-hmm. is what you want to do. Right. And, but he didn't force me to do it, and. That was a really great thing for me because I would have gotten burnt out. And unfortunately, after he died, and my best friend died, and they were it was like three months apart, I lost that passion for a really long time. And the passion to play. Yeah, because it was I always noticed his absence after that. Um, and I could have had a much better career and a much longer career than I had if I was still passionate about it. But my childhood, it was great. I loved it. I played it. I had the opportunity to play it at the college level. I had the opportunity to play it at the professional level after college. And all those opportunities were because of because of him not forcing me into it, but being real with me about what I needed to do if I wanted to do, if that's what I wanted to do. And later on, when I, I coached high school for a while, and I had a blast doing it, mm-hmm. um, but I saw so many really talented kids get burnt out and like quit the sport Mm -hmm. because their parents were overbearing and were pushing them and you told me a quote years ago and it has always stuck with me and it's something that I think about with my own um, 
with Jack, and, and I struggle with, like, I introduce him and I'm introducing him to sports, but he's not the same as me. I think he could be a better athlete than I was, mm-hmm. but he'd have to want to be, and he's not, it's not what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Jack loves many things. Music, he wants to be a scientist, he loves doing science experiments, he loves animals, learning about animals, so he's got passions, and I'm all I want is for him to be passionate. It would be really cool if he gets into sports, but yeah. whatever he's passionate about, I'm passionate about. Um, but I go back and forth between I'd like to introduce him, but I don't want to push him into it. And mm-hmm. I saw so many kids, talented players that I coached, get burnt out because mm-hmm. their parents were pushing them. And I always think with him, and I think about a quote you told me years and years and years ago. And you said, you can't want it more than they do. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work if you want sports more than they do. And you were talking about um, players that you were coaching. Um but it, it, I always thought about it applies to our own kids that, like, it's not going to work with sports if you want it more than they do. You know, you, you, you need to, they need to at some point have that internal passion and, and, and it needs to be what they're all about or it's, it's, it's not going to happen. And, and parents can't, you know, everybody wants to be Venus and Serena's dad or Tiger Woods' dad. You know, and be like, I, from day one, had my kid doing this. But there are so many parents out there that try to do that from day one that their kids don't. It doesn't happen because it's not just about the parent. It's also about the kid. You know, Venus and Serena wouldn't have been what they were. Tiger wouldn't have been what what he was if they didn't have that combination of talent and also the the mindset that this is what I'm all about. This is what I want to be. And so there are so many parents that try to... I think do that with their kids and they just get their kids burnt out and it affects their relationships with them. I think you're doing a great job uh, getting back to Jack. Um, you know, you, you had mentioned COVID and one of the un- unintended consequences of COVID was is that not only did people lose their jobs, um, you know, lose their businesses, but a lot of people lost themselves. And Jack not being able to express himself through the band took something away from him that that self-discovery that he found out so now what is life you know are you to go through life being you know afraid of whatever whatever it may be okay that could be harmful or do you live your life this is a young life that was it was it was to look stop go no further do not pass go do not collect a hundred dollars we understand you like this but no. I mean, again, sports was put on hold, right? They showed you, look, something else is important. Life. How about that? So, you know, the ball is life thing Yeah, is a falsehood. Life is life, right? There are other things important. So as long as Jack, I mean, me, myself, I was, I didn't grow up playing sports. I grew up reading and reciting Paul Lawrence Dunbar, Nikki Giovanni, Langston Hughes, reading James Baldwin. <laughs> this is the way I grew up. I grew up in drama class. Sports was something that I, I picked and up. And you organically picked that up, and it was just yes. a passion that was there. It's just a passion. That's it. And That's if, it. if you had a parent that was forcing you into it, it might not have been the same relationship from like day one. If they were like, you're going to be a basketball player, we need a, you know, seven days a week before school, after school, like you might not have have had that same passion for it. Well, you know, I think it's different for the kids now um, because what they get caught up into is the bling, the lights in front of their faces, you know, the next highlight reel. 
what they don't get to do is 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 what they don't get to experience is self-discovery, right? Because it depends on something else. I remember playing basketball, and I, or when I picked the basketball up, you know, people they would always laugh and joke at me because I'm walking down the street and they hear ting, 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 ting because I had a plastic basketball. You know, it wasn't yeah. like everybody else's, but I wanted to go to the park, and I was horrible. And my grandmother just gave me real simple advice: play hard. That's it. Play hard. If she saw me slacking, whatever I was doing, if she saw me slacking, that's not enough. That's, you said you wanted this. So it wasn't me trying to outdo anyone else. I was just trying to find the best in myself. How good can I get? <laughs> that's it. That's all. How hard is it with Junior going into the Navy, into the armed mm. services as a dad? You know, maybe that's an uncomfortable topic, but it's it's. Um, I mean, look, we we've seen unfortunately that that danger is everywhere, but it's not like being a florist or or a, an IT tech or something. You know. So I will be truthful with this. I have mixed feelings. I know that this is what he wants to do because he wants to find himself. This is something he has to prove to himself. I also understand the history of our country. And I am not happy with him going and possibly killing somebody else's children. Uh, I'm stuck between the two. You know, um, you know we, we watch what's going on today. Uh, you know, it, real talk, we are the big, as a country, we are the biggest arms dealer on the earth. Yeah. So the hypocrisy in you, in you stating to me that, you know, oh, well, you know, plenty of children die. Well, you know what? I watch... <laughs> I watch, uh, you know, Obama, you know, send more drones than you know anybody else in the history of uh, of, of the world. Yeah. Right. I, and I understand that. Look, there, you know, there's war and there are costs to war. I think Colin Powell said it best when you know when there's war that there is no uh, humanity. Okay. So, you know, I fluctuate. I fluctuate. I understand the need to protect yourself, which is why I'm big on the Second Amendment because if there's somebody out there. If, if I'm without an arm, uh, a gun, and not able to protect my children against somebody who is a nut, nutcase, yeah. then what do I do? I can't wait on the police. It's going to take them too long to get there, especially in some neighborhoods. Yeah. Right? So, you know, I think I'm always fluctuating between the two. I, I There's absolutely something we can do about this. But, you know, when it happens so often, and all I hear is posturing, and lip service, then what does that tell me? So you know, you know, here's, I heard this and I thought it was so apropos for this moment. The phrase was, we're a God-fearing country, guns, oil, and drugs. When I heard that, I said, ooh, ooh. Think about that for a second. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard, man, for me to just go to sleep at night because I worry about all the things for my kids. And once again, I come back to, like, I'm not going down the road of things used to be better because I do. I have a degree in history. And, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like, no, things weren't better in this country. If you were anything other than a male white Protestant, life is better now than it mm -hmm. was during previous years. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean life is good. Right. 
I'm right. going great. Right, right. Talk but it's degrees. better <laughs> by degrees than it was mm-hmm. before. Yeah. We had a lot of horrors, a lot of violence in this country. You look at the, you know, Tulsa Massacre, like the Civil War, the bloodiest mm-hmm. war in U.S. history was mm-hmm. the Civil War. Uh, you know, we had the slave trade. We had slavery for <laughs> 200 years. Or, you know, I guess it was technically, it was 100, a little bit from the time that, it, it was a little less than 100 years, but it was like, our society, which began before we were a nation, slavery was going on here mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. Um, from 1619 to 1865. Then we had another hundred years of legal segregation and all that stuff. So we had terrible things, but it's still it, it, the world is a dangerous, scary place. And it's like I don't want my son to grow up scared. So I don't want him to ever see that I'm worrying about him, worrying about all these things. But it's it's hard to sleep at night sometimes, man. And uh, but it's still amazing being a dad. It's an amazing feeling being a father. Um, you know, it, parenthood, and I, I don't want to separate it with with gender, but the energy from a father and the energy from a mother are necessary for the child. Now, um, I think that that male energy uh, that aggressiveness is necessary for a child these days. The aggressiveness to protect yourself, not the aggressiveness to lash out. Um, the aggressiveness to express yourself, right? And I'm not saying that, you know, there aren't females who are, um, you know, have a more aggressive nature. My grandmother had an aggressive nature, but I never knew my father. So she was my mother, my father, my grandmother, and my grandfather. She had to be everything. So being raised by a woman gave me a different perspective. I'm not saying whether it's better or it's worse. I'm saying it was different and it was what was required. Um, and I think that in, in many ways it helped me become a better father. And the lack of a father also contributed to my, uh, my lack of understanding at times. Okay. Yeah, I so me personally, I, I think that at the end of the day, I think what's important is that kids are surrounded by a loving environment. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's a single parent, if it's two parents, if it's just a mom, just a dad, two moms, two dads, a mom and a dad. You know, I, I, I think so many kids grow up without love and and uh, a safe household that I, I just think if, if, if you love your kids, that's the most important. But I, I you know, it's funny for me my wife is who really made me a great dad. Mm-hmm. She helped me mm-hmm. in ways I can't put into words as far as just healing from things that I've been through yes. and, and being able to to really connect with the ability to just love. For me, I think with my son, with Jack, one of the big holdups in that connection from day one was I had hurt so much from losing my dad, losing my best friend, losing my mom. And I knew that if something happened to Jack, it would hurt so much more than all of those things combined, those previous Mm -hmm. losses. Mm -hmm. And so there was a a subconscious fear of of suffering another loss like that. But Mm -hmm. my wife just... Her influence on me was... Shout out to mom. Yeah, was was life-changing. But I, I... there for me, there's been nothing like it um, since 
that wall kind of came down in my life of being being a parent, being a dad. Mm -hmm. um, it really is. And so for me, it's just, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't have advice to dads out there. I don't feel like I'm an authority figure on it other than just, you know, love your kids for who they are. And if they're passionate about something, foster that. It doesn't matter what it is, you know. Like I said, I don't know the first thing about music, but that's what Jack was into. So I'm, I'm all in on that as far as however much he's into it. You know, a, a lot of times I think parents are the problem. You know, I said earlier there are no perfect kids, so there can't be any perfect parents, right? But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm with you on that the kid needs love um, more than anything. Our children need love. Um, I just don't believe that love is all they need. Um, love has to be surrounded by other things. You know, uh, I think we've seen that love can, you know, go off the rails sometime. And, People fall out of love. I believe that the statistics are now that more than half of the United States ends up ends up uh, uh, getting divorced. Yeah, it's something somewhere like that. around there. Or it's close to it. Yeah. Right? So does the love stop at that point? Well, the the child may understand that. Okay, my mom and dad aren't together. Well, does that mean they don't love each other? You know, I mean. <laughs> yeah, and, and I should clarify when I say surrounded by love, I don't mean parents should stay together. I, what I mean is that whoever the parental figures are mm -hmm. in these kids' lives love the kid. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's what's important is that you love your kid. And yes, they do need more than just love. And my wife, who is full of love, but also balances me out a lot on the practical stuff, on, you know, really being concerned and making sure that our kids don't grow up um, spoiled, that they grow up appreciative of things, all these different things that mm -hmm. they... But um, when I say love, I just mean that that it's so important that kids are loved for who they are by their parents or yes. their grandparents or their whoever it is that is in that role yes. of parent. So, yeah, it, I think if, if, they, if, they, if they grow up and their two parents are not in love with each other, it's better for those two parents to, to live apart and both mm -hmm. love their kid because mm -hmm. if you have two people living together who are not in love, and that, that can turn very poisonous mm -hmm. very quickly. But I just mean it's so important that kids are loved, you know, by whoever it is that are their guardians. That, that that to me is so important. It is, I totally agree, totally agree. Well, I think that uh, is gonna wrap up episode three. We really appreciate everyone for, uh, for joining us. Bobby, thank you so much for once again another amazing conversation. I love our conversations, man. Looking forward to more. <laughs>